Hello, and welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, a food service industry podcast by Nations Restaurant News and Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor Brett Thorne, and it is award season. Uh, the Emmys were uh, announced in January. The Grammys were last Sunday. The Oscars are going to be announced in about a month. Uh, but I'm more interested uh, in the restaurant industry awards. Uh, the James Beard Foundation just announced the semifinalists for the Restaurant and Chef Awards. They actually did that about two weeks ago in late January. Uh, and the Beard Awards have changed a lot in recent years. I think for the better in that they're now recognizing a wider variety of chefs, and they're not merely recognizing them for their culinary excellence, but for their community involvement, their activity as good citizens, which I think is great. I think it's a positive change, but it's a change. And I think at least for the time being, let's say for the next few years, it's going to take away from their prestige because we understood before what the Beard Awards were. They were a popularity contest of sorts uh, in which a pretty select group of chefs and food writers like me, I was a judge for quite a few years, kind of tended to hand the awards over to the same people over and over again, and once those people had won all the awards they were going to win, uh, the torch was sort of passed on to their protégés, and we gave them awards. And uh, the foundation tried to shake that up a little bit, uh, certainly uh, for the sake of diversity, and we started giving more awards to women and people of color uh, before the pandemic, and then the Beard Foundation uh, took sort of a break on the awards for a couple of years and rebooted it substantially so that there is sort of um, a morality component to the Beard Awards. They require that you not engage in this sort of antisocial activity that certain past award winners, uh, Mario Batali most notably, ended up being accused of. And this obviously... Uh, was difficult for the Baird Foundation to have handed awards to somebody and then they turned out not necessarily to be awesome. So, now there's sort of a morality clause in the Beard Awards. And the thing about those sorts of rules is that you have to enforce them. And so, there was a bit of scandal last year as certain semi-finalist names, I think semi-finalists, I don't think they actually made it to the next round, which is the nominees, their names were withdrawn. Uh, there was a bit of a kerfuffle about all of that. Uh, but, I mean, that's sort of what you have to do. Uh, in the meantime, the awards now go to good actors who do great things. And that's, that's positive, very positive as far as I'm concerned. But as I said, since we don't really know what that means, how does it shake out, what does it say about the chefs and the re their restaurants that win awards and their food and beverage, uh, it's going to take a while for us to adjust. And this is something that I'd love 
uh, to hear what you guys think, you can write in to me at brett.thorn at informa.com. And now I want to talk about my guest, Julia Jew, who is the managing partner for the U.S. for Grandma's Home. This is a chain of about 200 restaurants uh, in 60 cities in China, and it features the cuisine of Hangzhou, which is a famous and ancient city in China, but not one that we've heard of a lot in the United States. Uh, it's an old historic city, a former capital of China. It's in the Yangtze River Valley, which is one of the cultural heartlands uh, of China, and not that far from Nanjing, where I studied uh, when I was a student in China for a semester, and then I was, I was in Beijing for another semester. Uh, and so I really had a nice time talking to Julia about the unique cuisine of Hangzhou and the, the tea that is popular in the region. The most famous tea from Hangzhou is called Longjing, or Dragonwell tea, and it's a very lovely, elegant tea that I would recommend you try. Uh, we're going to talk more about this in, well, right now, because here is Julia Ju. Julia Ju, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Brett. Uh, so tell me, you you are, what's your job at Grandma's Home? And then tell me all about Grandma's Home. Sure, um, I'm a managing partner at this uh, first American Grandma's Home in Flatiron. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's me. Uh, how did you, are, are you part of the family that started it all? Yes, um, so my dad is one of the um, founders at Grandma's Home in China, and he started the business with um, a group of his friends, and there's been over 200 locations in the past um, 20 years that have been, they've been growing this business in China. So all over China, or just in a specific part? Uh, it's sort of all over um, in China, and they started in Hangzhou, where um, this cuisine is based on, and now it's in the, all the major cities and as well as the smaller second, third tier cities in China. That's awesome. And Hangzhou is uh, famous for a number of things, for West Lake, which is beautiful, and uh, as sort of a, a, a pretty ancient uh, city, sort of in the heart of China, right, in the Yangtze River Valley? Yes, it's actually one of the um, seven historical um, capital cities of Imperial China, and then there's a lot of history, and um, I think also, as you mentioned, uh, it's kind of a popular tourist attraction as well for the West Lake and also um, the river and bodies of waters. And also Longjing Tea, one yeah. of the most famous teas in, in China is from Hangzhou, right? Yes, so um, we are sort of thought of as the green tea capital of China, Hangzhou, and um, Longjing, the village, is located in Hangzhou. And there, there, if I remember correctly, there's an old Chinese saying that uh, the heavens have the sun and the moon, and earth has Hangzhou and Suzhou. Do you know yes, that one? Yes, exactly. We're the heavens oh. on earth. Yes. <laughs> I, I've been there a couple of times. It is pretty. 
because I, I studied in China for a year, so I got the opportunity to go to Hangzhou and just walk around. But it was a long time ago. It was 1988, 89, so it's probably different now. Nice. Where'd you go? Um, Westlake? Yeah. Yeah, and just, you know, walked around and and did go out to, to Longjing and buy a bunch of tea. There, there was a whole row of ladies selling their, their own bunches of tea and I bought one from one and all the rest of them were like, buy some for me too, which, you know, once I already have my tea, I don't really need to buy some from everybody. But I appreciated their their salesmanship. They were, they were good, mar- good, good <laughs> but, at marketing. Yeah, I've definitely seen that as well. And um, just them picking the tips from the trees with their hats and then pen frying them in the uh, with their hands, actually. I thought that was pretty cool to see too. And it's a tasty tea. I like yeah. it. We will have that on our menu as well. And and did you grow up in Hangzhou? Yes, so I grew up um, there and my family is still there and um, until I finished middle school. Great. And, and so the uh, Grandma's Home specializes in the cuisine of Hangzhou. So can you tell me about that cuisine and what makes it special? Sure. Um, I think I'd say the flavor of Hangzhou cuisine, I desi- um, I'd say it's very focused on the um, lightness and the freshness of the flavors. So um, the ingredients would really be the uh, focus of the cuisine. And not in terms of like we need to have very luxurious um, ingredients, but more highlighting it as not having a lot of um, maybe chili peppers or spice, that type of thing, but more um, something that makes the original flavor of the ingredient to stand out. And I see. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. And I, also, I think another aspect of the cuisine that ties into what we were talking about, about history. So the history of the cuisine kind of dates back to the Southern Song Dynasty, when Hangzhou was the uh, historical capital. And uh, I think um, when the capital shift from the north to south, uh, the chefs kind of created the foundations of the cuisine where there's a lot of influences from the north and the local ingredients. And that's sort of the foundation of the cuisine and where it started and carries into today. And the Southern Song was what, eight, nine hundred years ago? Yes, yeah, like more than eight hundred years ago. So and we're still eating time. what they were eating back then. Maybe a little different, but similar. Yeah, yeah. China didn't have chilies yet in 800, 900 years ago because that came from the New World about Mm -hmm. 400 years ago. So what are some um, uh, typical or popular dishes on Grandma's Home's menu? Sure, yeah. um, I think one of our most uh, signature dishes from Grandma's Home is the uh, clay pot chicken cooked in a, a whole pot. I mean, it's a clay pot, and it's a whole chicken cooked infused with the longjing green tea leaf. And this is sort of a dish that's been popularized by Grandma's Home in the past 20 years, and it's the top seller. So you put the whole chicken in a, in a pot and then steal it, and then how do you cook it? 
Um, it's cooked in the pot until it, as a whole chicken until juicy, mm -hmm. and then the flavors are sort of infused from the longjing tea leaf, and um, the skin is slightly golden. I see. And you really get the juiciness of the chicken. That sounds great. And uh, so, what are some other popular dishes? And um, I think the clay pot chicken is sort of something that we created from like the ancient recipe in the small villages around Hangzhou. And um, other uh, popular dishes we have are sort of the more traditional Hangzhou cuisine dishes. Um, I think one of them would be the um, Longjing tea shrimp, which is uh, like the, the shrimp would be in uh, like a crystal color. And uh, the tea water sort of highlights the freshness of the shrimp. I see. And how is that cooked? Is that also sort of a stewed dish or is it stir fried or how do you make it? Um, it's a, it's not a, it's a stir fried dish, but it's not super oily or anything. It's like the highlight is sort of the crystal uh, freshness of the color of the shrimp. So it sounds like a lot of the, uh, food in Hangzhou cuisine is focused more on, as you said, using uh, good ingredients that are local to Hangzhou and just letting them speak for themselves, as opposed to some of the other cuisines in China, like Sichuan and Hunan, that, that rely more on spices to, to bring out the flavor. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think um, Hangzhou and like as you said, the south of the Yangtze River area is sort of referred to as the land of the fish and rice. So there's always been a lot of uh, food from from the sea and from the fresh waters and also from the mountains. Sounds great. And Grandma's home in Flatiron, has it opened yet? I should know that. Or is it going to open or what are the plans? No, it's not yet. We're working on opening it soon. Any idea when? Uh, we're hoping for March. And, and you never know with a restaurant. I mean, it's not open until it's actually open. Exactly, but we'll let you know as soon as it opens. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. I'll swing by. Uh, and so what is the, uh, the restaurant in New York City going to look like? Um, so we have a, actually a local interior designer that took inspiration from our design and also uh, the New York City uh, environment as well. And this is sort of something that the brand does in China as well. Each location um, is not always looking the same in the same style. And I would say our location here has both the, a lot of uh, traditional Chinese elements um, like traditional um, craft, like the pots and uh, window screens, but we also have many contemporary um, design elements. Uh, and we've included things like artists, Chinese artists from contemporary Chinese artists um, from all over, all over the world in the space. So you get the sense of both the old and the new and the traditional. That sounds great. And so with your uh, 200, you said 200 restaurants in China, right? Yes. So with each of those restaurants, do they also try to 
uh, bring in sort of local colors and designs and that kind of thing? Um, I think each one is not always local, but each one has a design that um, the grandma's home team feels best fit for that location. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, are there uh, differences between the the menu in, in different grandma's home locations throughout China, or is it all the same at every one? There are some variations different between the different menus. Yes. So uh, over here, we pick sort of pick the um, menu items that we feel like best represents, um, as we said, Hangzhou cuisine, as well as just home-style uh, Chinese food. So... Uh, I, yes, I would imagine if you're opening a restaurant in one of the uh, Chinese provinces that has spicier food, maybe you'd make this food a little bit spicier, or or maybe bring in uh, or offer some dishes that are uh, popular in in that particular area. Is that the sort of thing that you do when you when you mix things up in different locations? Um, I think definitely they try to pick things that are what the uh, guests would like in the area, for sure. But I don't think in Sichuan we try to make the um, mapo tofu in their style, but in our style. But what dishes they like, we would select for that restaurant. I see. So that you you continue to have your own distinctive flavors, but you you have an understanding of what each market wants, and so mm -hmm. exactly. And so, uh, what kind of research did you do to understand what New Yorkers want? What kind of research would, um, okay. So I have been working in the uh, restaurant industry in New York for the past five to six years. And I think um, from my understanding of Chinese culture and my background, as well as um, my experience in the industry, I try to, um, incorporate what I learned into this restaurant. That's cool. So so what kind of work have you been doing over the past five or six years? Um, so I started as a song, uh, not in Chinese restaurants, but I worked at a, my first one was an Italian place. I also worked at a German place. And one of them was actually Chinese, but a different type of cuisine. So that's where I started, and now I'm working on I've been working on this opening. So as a, as a Sam, you had to know a lot, obviously, about wine. Is that something you studied before you uh, got involved with restaurants? Yeah, I think, I think that was uh, the first thing I was really interested in, and that's how I got into it, and that inspired me and took me here today. Well, then I'm guessing that Grandma's Home will have an interesting beverage list. Is that true? Yes, we try to find um, a beverage list that best, best complements uh, our food. And we'll offer um, low ABV cocktails with a lot of um, sort of Chinese flavors and stories that and names that features Chinese folktales. And we will also, of course, have wine from all over the world that we selected to for our menu. And we also have tea, a variety of different teas that um, is from Hangzhou. We have a black tea and Longjing green tea as well as a, a chrysanthemum. 
and that should be great. Yeah, I and mean, we also have a relatively uh, substantial list for um, non-alcoholic beverages. So are these, uh, you said, uh, no ABV cocktails, right? That kind of thing? Uh, yeah, we do have a low ABV list as well as uh, just non-alcoholic in general. And so what, what are some examples of some of those, of those non-alcoholic drinks? Because that's a very trendy category. People are drinking less, so that's exciting. Sure. We have uh, one green drink that was uh, inspired by um, the Chinese folktales. I don't know if you've heard there's uh, this, this pagoda that has a white snake and green snake under the pagoda. And this was sort of a romance story. And we have uh, pandan in the drink. That's what make, makes the drink um, green. And I think I'm very excited about that drink. Also, we have drinks from uh, Yakult, which is the red foil cap um, drink that a lot of Asian people grew up with. That's a yogurt drink, I thought right? that was delicious. Yeah, that's yogurt, right? Yes. Oh, so that's smart. That's a good idea. And what, what kind of wines go with uh, Hangzhou food? Um, I think as um, the way I thought about it is like because we don't incorporate a lot of uh, chilies and spice um, or something uh, with very intense flavors. And I think the wines that we've selected is um, very universal uh, to the food that would bring out the best flavor of the ingredients, which is the same as how we approach um, the cooking style. So our, uh, what are some examples of the kinds of wines you think you'll be offering? So we are having wines from all over the world, actually, and from uh, mainly from, um, there's a lot of Italian selections, and as well as French, we have champagne, we have cava, uh, we have pinots from California. That should be great. I would think, uh, it sounds like the food would mostly lend itself to kind of minerally white wines, like a Vermentino, that kind of thing. Yeah, or... we do have a Vermentino on the list. All right. I, I, I guess... was like the mineral flavors would really complement well and it's like crisp and fresh. Yeah, I mean, I think it can be tricky to pair Asian foods with wine because European cuisines, especially French and Italian and Spanish, were designed to be eaten with wine, whereas Chinese food was not designed to be eaten with wine. It was designed, I, I think, without any particular beverage in mind, just whatever people wanted to drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think surpri surprisingly some of them just actually does pair very well, and I think if people prefer, there's also, we will also try to incorporate um, traditional Chinese wine, rice wines. We're still working on that, but hopefully we will have that on our menu as well. How about Baijiu? You're going to do anything with Baijiu? No, so we're still working on our liquor license. So okay. right now we'll have the low ABV things. Well, that's fair. And, mm -hmm. and Baijiu can be challenging for non-Chinese people. It's a, it's a very uh, aggressive flavor. Yeah, it is a very aggressive flavor. <laughs> yeah. 
So maybe you'll make that onto the cocktail list, maybe not. Yeah, um, maybe one day. Right. So you're opening in New York, hopefully in March. Do you have plans for other cities in the United States? Um, so right now we are focused on uh, just this, getting the first one ready. But we would love to have more in the future. Yeah. I, I would love for them to be more of them, too. Is this your first um, market outside of China that Grandma's Home is going to? No, we had one opening in, uh, in Canada. Oh, what part? Montreal? Uh, Toronto. There's a town oh. called Markham. There's a, it's like a huge Chinatown. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a lot of great Chinese restaurants over there. That'll be fun. And it's open already? Uh, it was open, but then uh, it unfortunately didn't work out during COVID. Yeah, that happened to a lot of restaurants. There's no shame in that. Sometimes restaurants close. Uh, so uh, have you uh, hired all of the staff for the restaurant yet? Or are you still trying to find more people? We are still trying to find more people, but we have all the, um, the core team. Are, we've been working closely together for a long time. And and is there a chef? And is that chef from China or from someplace else? So um, the chef, the menu was sort of a collaboration between um, our chefs in China as well as the Chinese chefs in New York City. Um, so our, um, I guess our executive chef here is a very experienced Chinese chef in who's been working in the industry in restaurants Chinese restaurants in New York for a while, but um, he's been uh, training in a grandma's home in China, and he's also come back and with our executive chef in China to work on the menu together, and they will um, continue to work together for um, our menu over here. That sounds that sounds great. Um, how how do you think uh, the food of grandma's home is different from the Chinese food that is available now in New York City? Um, I think the biggest difference is the type of cuisine. I think the most popular um, cuisine in Chinese cuisine uh, region-wise would be Sichuan and uh, maybe dim sum in New York. And I think um, Hangzhou cuisine is something um, that is new and not maybe not as popular here. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a Hangzhou restaurant in the United States. Yeah. If I did, I forgot. Yeah, I'm very excited about sharing my flavors from home. So, so Julia, how did you end up in New York City? Um, I'm not sure. I think I moved here because I thought it was a very exciting city and then I started working as a psalm and then met more people and I love it here and I think there's so much happening and I would love to be part of it. When you go out to eat, do you eat Chinese food or do you uh, cook your own Chinese food and then go out and eat other things um, in New York? I do a little bit of both, but um, I think 
there are a lot of great chefs in my family, and they're not here, and I don't think I'm one of them. So I think this was why a part of the reason why this restaurant is here, so I can have the flavors of home while my family is not here. Oh well, that's fun. Yeah, my, I so I, as I, I mentioned to you, I studied in China for a year, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's interesting. People always ask me the same questions, and and one of them was, "Can you get used to eating Chinese food?" Which I always thought was a funny question because it's not that hard to get used to Chinese food. Chinese food is delicious, but um, it's something that Chinese people always ask me, always ask the same question. Are there the same, do, do people in the United States ask you the same questions over and over again when they meet you? Um, I think not as much. I think food is a big topic in Chinese culture. It's sort of a yes. conversation starter. Maybe you've experienced that when you were in China. Yeah, they love talking about food and I love that. They, and they also ask, can you use chopsticks? which, yes, it's not that hard. I can use chopsticks. Also, I was a student, so they would ask me how much money my parents made, which was something that fascinated me. <laughs> yes, that, I, that definitely happens. So when I go back home yeah. and people would ask me, how much money are you making? Right. Indirect. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's just certain things you're allowed to ask. And I guess in China, you can ask people how much money you make. In, in the United States, it's not considered an appropriate question, although I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why. But mm-hmm. uh, you're that's not supposed very to ask. Yeah, but in China, <laughs> you know, in China, people like asking about money. Also, I mean, if I just said hello to them in Chinese, they were like, whoa, your Chinese is so good. And all I said was ni hao, which is not. That I know, I don't get the same type of compliments here. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I think you speak English very well. Thank you. Good job. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, I, it's, it's interesting how different um, cultures uh, adjust to, to foreign visitors. And I was in China, as I said, in 1988, 89. So uh, in Beijing, they were used to seeing foreigners, but I spent a semester in Nanjing and just by walking in a room I would draw crowds like people would all turn their heads and stare at me. Yeah I'd imagine it'd be even less back then but then I think even today um, it's not as diverse as as it is in New York so I think a lot of people turn around and look when they see a foreigner maybe in Hangzhou as well I think it's more common but it's still not as common as it is in New York. Well, I mean, that's true in most other American cities, too. I mean, New York is really a big melting pot. I mean, a bunch of other cities are, too, but New York is one of them. And and even sometimes in Beijing, people would wonder, what is this foreign person doing? Especially if you go into, you know, a non-touristy neighborhood. But it was always very safe. No one was ever mean. They were just like, mm-hmm. what you doing here? I mean... They would occasionally make remarks, you know, and refer to me as a Laowai and things like that, which is, for a non-Chinese-speaking audience, Laowai is a not especially polite word for foreigners. There are worse ones, but it's not a super nice one. It's not? Uh, no. Well, Laowai to me always meant, you know, you were kind of a dumb foreigner. Hmm. But maybe not. Maybe maybe you guys 
mean it differently than I interpreted it. I always thought it was just a neutral world, neutral word. Oh, maybe it is. And you know, if your intention is neutral and not hostile, then I'll take it as neutral. I think you're right. I think it's in intentions. Yeah. And, yeah. If, if and no one was too mean. They were all pretty good. Um, and I, I think I don't have any more questions for you. I think we've had a nice conversation and it I was a pleasure so as to well. meet you. Pleasure to meet you as well. Uh, great. Well, Julia Ju, thanks for joining me. And I'm looking forward to checking out Grandma's home. Thank you, Brian. It was a great having a conversation with you.